only now. He was also cold and feeling absolutely beaten by his ordeal. And where am I going to sleep tonight? He wondered out loud to the open air. But what Harry didn't realize when he asked this question was that another little mouse was following him and that this mouse was listening. Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your pilot, Daniel French, bringing you part two of our young adult story from Patricia Keeler. Harry the Hamster goes to Venice. You just heard where we left off. Let's hear where it goes next. You can stay with us, if you want. Harry jumped at the voice and poised himself ready to run. But the mouse grabbed him by the shoulder. It's okay. I'm a friend. Harry stopped. Who are you? My name is Gino. And your name is Harry. Is it not? It is. But how do you know that? I'm a friend of Topaz. She told me how a very brave hamster named Harry helped her to escape from the cats this morning. As soon as Harry heard Topaz's name, he once again got that funny feeling in his belly, and this time it rippled outwards and quivered all over his fur. I've been watching you, Harry. I've been watching you from the balconies. I saw how you managed to shake off the cats. Once again, just now, you're every bit as brave as Topaz said you were. No mouse has ever stood up to Thomasina and her gang like you did. Again, Harry felt a little flutter at the sound of Topaz's name. And I was very impressed with how you saved yourself from being swept away by that enormous wave. Speedboats are very dangerous things. Many a mouse in Venice has found himself drowning in a bow wave. But you, your resourcefulness and agility were exceptional. Harry squinted as he looked over this strange mouse. He didn't quite know what to make of him. Why are you telling me this? Gino paused for a moment. Then he turned away from Harry and looked over the canal. Do you know what it's like to live Constantly in fear, Harry. Do you know what it's like to be always hung and have your children always crying for food? Harry didn't know how to answer, nor even if he was supposed to. These really were very odd questions for a complete stranger to be asking, but Harry was too cold, tired, and hungry to worry much about Gino's slightly creepy manner. After all, this mouse had promised him somewhere to sleep that night. The least he could do was listen to what he had to say. 
Harry gave his full attention as Gino all of a sudden became very solemn as he continued to speak. It's a very hard life for us mice in Venice. We're attacked from both sides of the canal. If it's not the cats hunting us down for their breakfast on the south bank, then it's the rat pirates stealing our supplies on the north. It's a wonder there are any of us left at all. Hang on a minute. Who are the rat pirates? They're just rats. They aren't really pirates at all. But they sharpen their claws until they're as deadly as daggers. And they make a living of stealing from us mice. They call themselves pirates. But they're just thieves. Their leader's name is Nero. And he's the most vicious creature in all of Venice. But he is also the most cunning. Rumor has it that he has kidnapped all of Thomasina's kittens. If any of the cats attack any of the rats, he'll starve those kittens to death. That's awful. But surely big cats can't be afraid of mere rats. Nero has the kittens. What can they do? Harry thought about this and realized that he didn't have an answer. But why do you care about the cats? They'd eat you up as soon as hiss at you. I don't care about them. The cats are nothing. Like us, they are just hungry. Only we mice on their lunch. They are big and they are quick. But they are also stupid. And we are quicker. Yes, we must avoid the cats if we don't want to be eaten. But if we don't want to starve, then it is the rat pirates who must be defeated. But why are you telling me? What's all this got to do with me? I'm asking you to join us, Harry. You are brave, and you are quick, and you are just. You didn't have to help the little mouse, Popaz, but you risked your life to save hers. Perhaps you will find it in your heart to do the same for the rest of us. We need to fight the rats. It is now or never. Our people are starving to death every day. Will you help us, Harry? Will you join us and lead our army into battle? Harry thought hard about this for a moment. He thought about everything that Gino had told him, about everything that Topaz had said to him earlier. Now, I just want to become a gondolier. I'm glad I saved Topaz. I can't help you any further. And with that, Harry turned and walked away from Gino. I thought you wanted adventure. Topaz said that you were looking for adventure. This will be the greatest adventure you'll ever have. What you're asking is not adventure, said Harry, calling back over his shoulder as he continued to walk away. It's war. Yes, it is a war. And the Abahis are losing. That night, having walked away from Gino's offer of a bed, Harry slept in a drain pipe in the wall of the canal. It was cold and it was damp, and Harry found himself thinking that perhaps leaving the comfort of his cage was not such a great idea after all. Every time he closed his eyes, 
He pictured his friend Pip back home, snuggled up safely in fresh sawdust. The very thought made the drainpipe seem even colder, and Harry shuddered all over. But there was one thing that danced around Harry's mind and managed to warm him up right from the tips of his ears to the very ends of his toes. A little gray mouse called Topaz. Every time a cold stirred up the chill in the drain pipe, Harry just had to think of Topaz's silky whiskers on her lovely soft paws, and his heart glowed in his chest and pumped warm blood through his frozen veins. When morning finally came, Harry promised himself that today would be the day that he built his gondola. And then I'll take Topaz on a magical journey through all the canals of Venice. Harry crawled out of his drain pipe and set to work straight away. Now, it is often thought that very lucky people keep very lucky pets. And today it seemed that Mark and Lucy were no exception, for floating in the canal, not three feet from Harry's drain pipe, was an old Italian clog. Perfect. And he waited while it drifted right up to the canal's edge, and then he reached down and dragged the shoe to the shore. Next, amongst all the litter that was strewn about all along the canal's edge, and there really was a lot, napkins, matches, knives, forks, toothpicks, Harry found some empty matchboxes, and he used some discarded elastic bands to fasten them into the shoe and make little seats. After that, all that was left to do was to decorate his new vessel. And so he climbed up onto a nearby balcony and took a few leaves and a few white flowers from one of the plant pods and tied them to the heel of the shoe. My word, said Harry, admiring his handiwork. I do believe that this is the finest craft in the whole of Venice. And feeling very pleased with himself, he moored up his little creation right next to another of those speedboats just outside the Mouse Palace, and then he climbed ashore in search of Topaz, thinking that together they could launch Harry's gondola on her maiden voyage that very afternoon. Harry arrived at the Mouse Palace, beaming with pride and excitement. Slowly, he made his way through the gap in the huge wooden gate and found that Gino was coming out to greet him. I knew you'd change your mind. Come in, fine hamster. Come in. Harry stepped through the gateway. Inside, Gino led the way into an enormously wide hall that was flanked on both sides by dozens of doorways and passageways, all leading to different chambers of this fabulous palace. Come back to lead the mice to victory over the rat pirates, have you? No, I haven't. I don't want to fight, and you won't get me to change my mind. I've come to see Topaz. Is she here? Before Gino could answer, there came a cry of, Harry! And Topaz appeared from out of one of the chambers. Harry's heart skipped about ten beats at the sight of Topaz running towards him. Have you built it? Is it ready? Are we going on a gondola ride through Venice? 
Harry could hardly speak through his embarrassment. Ah, yes, Topaz. It's just about finished and ready to sail as soon as you are. Well, wait there. Before we go, I've got a little surprise for you. And she turned and dashed away, back towards her chamber. Whilst Harry waited, he took a few moments to look around at the dilapidated building he was in. There were old, faded paintings and threadbare tapestries on the walls, moth-eaten curtains that barely covered the windows, and a broken chandelier hanging from the ceiling. Everything was either broken, fading away, or just falling to pieces. The only thing that seemed to be in one piece, and apparently in full working order, was an old grandfather clock standing tall and proud against a sidewall in the center of the room. The big hand on the face of the clock was on the numeral VII, and the small hand was approaching the XII. From the inside of the clock's immense wooden trunk, Harry could hear the seconds being struck off with each clunk of its great swinging pendulum. There was something very impressive about the grandfather clock that gave Harry a feeling of swelling confidence just to look at it. For, despite the dire and crumbling state that the rest of the palace was in, this one tall and beautiful object had managed to endure without a single scratch anywhere upon its gleaming surface. This whole palace used to be as fine as that old clock. It belonged to the last king of Italy's grandson, the Prince of Venice. But of course, we do not have kings and queens in Italy any longer. And now the prince has left, and his palace is falling down. What a shame, said Harry, who really thought it a terrible thing indeed that such a beautiful building could be left to fall into ruin in such a way. But can't you mice do anything to restore it? We have tried but no matter what we fix or what we polish, the rat pirates will always come. They break in, smash everything to bits, and then they steal all we have. If only we could organize ourselves and find the courage to fight them. Perhaps then our palace could be repaired once and for all for the grand and the royal brilliance that it once was. If only we had someone brave to lead us, Harry. Someone bold and fearless. Someone like you. Bold and fearless, interrupted a voice from across the hall. Harry and Gino turned to see a very rough and hard-looking mouse approaching them. You can't be serious, Gino. This thing isn't even a mouse. The intruder's name was Mario, and he marched angrily towards Harry and Gino with awkward and jerky movements, like he was being bitten all over by fleas. His fur was mangy, his whiskers uneven lengths, and his eyes were odd colors, one blue, one black. As he came, he pointed at Harry with a hardened, grisly paw, and when he spoke, a foamy froth collected the corners of his mouth. Who are you? Why are you here? This is Harry. He's a hamster. A hamster? A hamster. And what is 
a hamster doing in the mouse palace? I've asked him to help us fight and defeat the rat pirates, Mario. He's brave and he's strong. Is he now? Hissed Mario, his black eye rolling up and down over Harry. And what makes you say that? I saw him yesterday fight off three cats. And before that, he saved young Topaz's life. Again, Harry got a fuzzy feeling at the mention of Topaz's name. But as he looked, he could have sworn he saw Mario's whiskers twitch as well. Mario composed himself and this time spoke directly to Harry. Fighting cats is one thing, but what makes you think you can take on an army of rat pirates who are stronger, faster, and ten times as smart as any cat that has ever prowled these watery alleyways? Mario stare met Harry's, and the two of them stood dissecting each other with their eyes. Harry looked into Mario's scarred and war-torn face. There was so much anger and sadness in those mismatched, weary eyes. They sent a bitter chill bristling all over Harry, and eventually he had to tear his own eyes away from them. He looked down at the floor and answered Mario's lingering question. I don't. I don't think I can fight the rat pirates. And I don't want to. I came here for Topaz. I just want to be a gondolier. A gondolier? (laughs) Why, and I nearly believed you were a fighter. But you want to dress up in a silly hat and float around in a silly board. (laughs) A fighter indeed. You couldn't fight your way out of a box of sawdust. Harry turned away, ignoring Mario's ridicule. It didn't matter how much he was insulted, or for that matter, how much Gino tried to persuade him. He didn't want to fight. All he wanted to do was take Topaz down to the Grand Canal in his very own gondola. He tried to give an apologetic glance to Gino, One that said, I'm sorry, but I just don't want to get involved. But Gino had already decided that enough was enough and had hung his head and was walking away. But Mario wouldn't stop with the verbal abuse. You're nothing but a silly little hamster in a silly little board. Why don't you just go back home to wherever it is you come from? You've got no right to be here in the mouse palace. Go on, get out! Harry sighed and was about to walk away, but before he did so, Mario leaned into him and added in quieter tones so that Gino wouldn't hear. And stay away from Topaz. Then Mario turned and disappeared back down the hallway of the palace, leaving Harry all alone. Mario's right. I don't belong here, and Pip was right as well. All a hamster should do is keep to the wheel in his cage, not go chasing after adventure all over the world. But before Harry had the chance to start feeling too sorry for himself, there was a tap at his shoulder. 
I think you'd make a very handsome gondolier, Harry. Harry recognized that sweet voice at once, and in an instant all of his troubles evaporated right out of his mind. Topaz, I thought you weren't coming back. Oh, Harry, don't be silly. Of course I came back. Here, I've made a present for you. Topaz presented Harry with a little parcel wrapped in brown paper. Inside was a full hamster-sized gondolier's costume. There was even a little straw hat. Oh, thank you, said Harry, trying on the hat. So, you don't think I'm just a silly little hamster with a silly little boat? Of course I don't, Harry. Wherever did you get an idea like that? Harry never got the chance to answer this question, for at that precise moment the great-grandfather clock rang the first of its twelve almighty gongs, and there was an excruciatingly sharp thud in the small of his back, and he was knocked sprawling to the floor. Harry lay crumpled on the floor of the mouse palace. The gongs rang out one at a time, and in between their near-deafening blasts there were shrieks, and there were shouts, and the sounds of hundreds of sets of scampering paws tramping all around him. In fact, they weren't just all around him, but they were over him and upon him, squishing his limbs and his paws and stamping his face into the solid ground. Harry hadn't the chance to look, but he knew at once to whom all these horrid trampling feet belonged. It was the rat pirates, and they were attacking. The terrified mice ran here, there, and everywhere trying to hide, escape, or just flailing around in blind panic. Some tried to get away through the windows. Others dived down through the cracks in the floorboards, and still more tried hopelessly to scratch their way up the walls. The rats strode wrathfully through the mouse palace like they were the kings of the world. They stood on their hind legs, towering high over the trembling mice. Some of the hideous creatures wore masks over their faces so that their long snouts could not be seen. Others wore feathered hats and had eye patches. But all were armed with long, knife-like claws, grown especially to scratch, sever, and gouge. And gouge, sever, and scratch they did. The attack did not last long. The rats tore through the palace with swiftness and devastating efficiency, swiping their claws at any mouse that strayed across their path. Harry was trampled where he lay, but he managed to lift his head just enough to make out what was happening. The rat pirates had raided the mice's food supply and were now marching back out of the palace with lumps of cheese, hunks of bread, and chunks of fruit hoisted up on their shoulders. Out they went through the broken doorway of the great gate, and as the last gong of the grandfather clock faded to silence, Harry heard their squeaks and wicked laughter gradually waning as they disappeared back into the watery clamor of the Venetian alleyways. Soon the last set of filthy feet tramped away, and Harry, battered and scraped but glad to be alive, pushed himself up onto his feet. The devastation of the attack still fizzed in the air as the dust settled on the destruction all around, the broken gate, the shattered glass, the whimpering mice. Yet Harry had only one thing on his mind. Topaz! But he couldn't see her. Topaz! He called once more and ran through the hall, repeating her name again and again and again. So many mice were lying all around, most of them wounded, some still cowering and trembling in fright, and still others that were not moving at all. And then he found her. Oh, my life! Topaz! 
Beneath a shattered window, splayed out and limp with shards of bloody glass sprinkled upon her, lay the body of the little mouse Topaz. Three deep scratch marks were scored across her belly. She was still, lifeless, and her eyes were closed. Harry immediately rushed towards her and brushed the glass shards out of her fur with his paw. He leaned down to her. Topaz. Topaz, it's me. It's Harry. Please wake up, Topaz. The rats have gone. Please wake up. The little mouse did not move. Please wake up. Harry pleaded and gently rocked his little friend as if he was trying carefully to wake her up from sleep. But her limbs were limp, her little chest had wilted, and no breath came forth to ruffle her folded whiskers. There was nothing that the brave hamster could do. She was gone. Harry scrunched his eyes tight to hold back the tears, and a long shadow slipped over him and his broken friend. You pathetic little fool, the shadow hissed, crying over one little mouse. Harry looked up to see a huge pair of gleaming black eyes behind a shining golden mask. I had heard that there was a brave hamster that had come to lead the mice. But here I find a tiny, sniveling coward. Who are you? I am Nero, captain of the rat pirates and high king of the canals of Venice. No, you're not. You're nothing but a thief kidnapper and a murderer. <laughs> that may be so, <laughs> but I am still king. When Nero spoke, he twirled the tip of his long tail between his fingers, and his voice was twangy like an out-of-tune violin. He was enormous, practically the size of a cat, and the points of his thick whiskers were almost as sharp as his teeth. And what is more, the palace will soon belong to me. You and your mice are weak. One day we will come here to claim what is rightfully ours, and any mouse or hamster that dares to try and stop us will find themselves as dead as that pathetic little friend of yours who will soon be rotting at your feet. These last words pierced through Harry's ears and bit into his heart. He couldn't control himself. Suddenly, a white-hot bubble of rage burst inside of him, and he lunged at Nero, ready to fight, scratch, and bury his teeth wherever he could into the giant rat's bulk. But someone was holding him back. Don't do it, Harry! It was Gino. He'd appeared from nowhere and had Harry by the shoulders. He'd kill you! Gino was saying into Harry's ear. He's too strong! Harry stopped struggling. <laughs> Listen to your friend, little hamster. He might just save your life. I am three times your size and ten times as strong. I would snap you like a twig. And with that, Nero turned his back to Harry and walked slowly away like he owned the palace and everything in it. But Harry was not finished and shouted after him. You call me a coward because I cry for a dead friend, but you're the one who's the coward. You rats only pick on those that are smaller than you. You can't stand up to the cats, so you take their babies. They are kittens who can't defend themselves. You are the cowards. Well, 
I'm not a coward, and neither are any of the mice. You're three times my size, but I'll fight you. You come back here again, and we'll all fight you. We'll fight all of you. But by now, Nero was out through the gate and had disappeared. Gino let go of Harry, but the hamster kept on trembling with rage, his eyes fixed straight ahead on the spot where Nero had vanished. Yes, he would fight. He would fight them all. He had no choice now. The rats had killed his friend, his topaz, and they would pay. What was the use of his gondola now? Then he let it out. He put his paws to his eyes, and he let all the tears come flooding out. Oh, topaz, he wailed. He cried so loudly that at first he didn't hear what Gino was saying. But suddenly his head seemed to clear, and Gino's words came into focus, loud and unmistakable. She's alive. She's alive. Harry, come quick. She's breathing. Topaz is alive. Sure glad Topaz is okay. Well, we'll find out, right? So that's where we're going to leave off at the end of part two of Harry the Hamster Goes to Venice, written by Patricia Keeler. The voice of your narrator and Harry, Gino, Mario, and Nero is Blake Benlin. The voice of Topaz is Caitlin Curtis. Music is by Andrew Manos and Daniel French at Fishbonius Sound Design. Production, editing, mixing, sound effects, and mastering are by Daniel French at Fishbonius Sound Design the grandfathered master of chronosphere fiction. Please become a patron by going to patreon.com slash chronosphere or Venmo at Fishbonius. Stay tuned to Chronosphere Fiction for part three of Harry the Hamster Goes to Venice. Until then... Keep your cosmos clean! Dee, dee.